0: Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical
1: insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the Church in Scotland. Welcome to the Midcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to download this episode. I'm Glenn Innes and we've got a bit of a change to our advertised schedule. We had planned to bring you an interview with some of the interns on our Invest programme this year. However, we're going to bring that out next week because I got the chance to sit down with Rich Robinson for half an hour or so. Rich works for Central Church in Edinburgh and for Catalyze Change, an organisation working Around the world, looking at issues of mission and church and leadership. Rich is going to be leading or facilitating our day conference on the 26th of November at Easter House Baptist Church. We would love you to come along to that day if you're interested in innovation in church or a mission. There's a link in the show notes to book there and the booking link will be open until the 20th of November. I wanted to record this as a chance for you to hear a little bit of uh, Rich's insight into the church globally, as well as here in Scotland, some of the challenges facing us. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Rich, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to be with us on the Midcast today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Pleasure. So, Rich, many people uh, around Baptist circles may have heard your name in various places, but my suspicion is they have no idea who Rich Robinson is. So let's get to the bottom of that. Who is
0: Rich Robinson? Where are you from? When did you become a Christian? Yeah, so moved around a little bit when I was younger. So my dad worked for Rover. So we were a little bit in Oxford and a little bit in Birmingham when they were the two plants. So moved around and came to university in Sheffield. So I was in in England and became a Christian in my second year of university. So I have a, a... Grandma, granddads, and two aunties that are all Christian, so extended family that Christian Methodist heritage, so Methodist minister as a granddad, um, so Christian sort of roots, but not necessarily upbringing. So, became a Christian halfway through my second year at uni. So, I was playing sport um, connected with three or four of the, the guys that I played football with in the, the, the kind of university football teams and really just fell into what I now know as a missional community. So a group of, there was probably 15 to 30 men and women, first, second, third, fourth years, um, love Jesus, love sport, and were just present in the different sports teams. So I connected with a couple of those guys, journeyed some of the questions, saw something different in them around food. Again, I now know what an alpha course is, and so just a couple of it, just talking through, asking questions, and then an encounter with the Holy Spirit was what took it from this kind of makes sense to this is real this is personal this is bigger than just I get this and I think this and so that was that was sort of 1920 um, now 40 so the last 20 years uh, following Jesus so I in falling into a missional community at, at St Thomas's in Sheffield what I was formed and shaped in was the the kind of extended family household dynamics so we I would go to church on a sunday but the, the energy in the life was not only there it was also in in this dynamic incarnational group so did kids and youth work on council estates took on staff role with kids and youth work missional communities and and then what would be probably seven eight probably eight years uh, ago took part-time i was full-time with the church at, at that point so part-time pastoral role with the church and part-time created space to help coach and train others that wanted to engage that sort of missional discipleship piece. And so that's been my sort of local, one leg in the local, one leg in the translocal for the last seven, eight years. Uh, It's fascinating to me
1: that your story has so many resonances with the way I got saved, but that's a story for another day. Uh, But the way that you got saved uh, in that context of what you now might refer to as a missional community, encounter with the Holy Spirit—all of that seems to have massively shaped the way that you do ministry, or that that you've then yep. chosen to live that out. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, I I think of my my formative twenties, first ten years of being a Christian, the the energy, the environment, the place that I was learning to read the Bible, learning, kind of living in a community. Making a Difference in Mission, it really was about being a missional disciple. It wasn't just, are oh, you turning up at church and are oh, you doing X, Y, Z as the list? It was real, living, active. I was shaped, lots of rough edges knocked off, lots of wonderful wisdom from older, wiser heads as well as peers. So, yeah, absolutely, I think I would I would live this way, whatever country, whatever context we're in. There's something that, that marked me in that that way of life as well as way of thinking, definitely.
1: And then, so you're on staff at St Thomas's, uh, big church in Sheffield, doing missional community stuff and, youth, and community youth work. And then, you're now in Edinburgh. How
0: how do you get from Sheffield to Edinburgh? Uh, good question. Um, so we the start of the training journey was really the challenge and conviction that we did a pretty poor job of helping people live this way. So there's <laughs> lots and lots of people that came in and around what we did, got excited by it, got inspired by it, and and we just used to tell some stories, sort of share a few thoughts, a few principles, and then send them on their way. And it was the sort of good luck, God bless you. And the challenge of that was people which still to this day, not just around what we did but others, is that they take the model or they take the code, they take the form and they miss the essence, the culture, the, the heart, the journey. They take the sort of two year success or the vehicle and try and Put it in so I, I for me there was a growing frustration and conviction of people going this this stuff's great but it doesn't work with us or I can't see it and so that training journey was how do we create meaningful environments and intentional processes to help people move past inspiration and model to paradigm lifestyle journey and so that was the journey and so that the Edinburgh connection was that Morningside Baptist at that point um had kind of come in and around what we were doing and so uh, the team from there came down to Sheffield some of our learning communities and so there was an initial training engagement that became a friendship and what we'd always set to do was to to empower others to do what we did rather than create a, a dependency or a centralized ministry or a sort of big brother feel or a kind of we're the experts and you can't so the conversation quickly moved with um different members of staff at Morningside Baptist, as they were saying, we want to reach Edinburgh, we want to serve, serve our city, we want to actually embrace, engage, serve the church in Scotland. And so they'd come down to Sheffield, we'd do some training, I'd jump on the train, come up to Edinburgh and just start to help those that were churches that were, Morningside Baptist now become Central Church, just around Central to help them as a church, put it into practice. So they were living examples Not perfect, lots of bumps, lots of missteps, lots of mistakes, but that that is the way you learn in mission and and in pioneering. Um, And also then churches that were around Central, helping Central to help other churches. And so that was a journey where there was a growing sense of sort of partnership. And then we, we reached a point, Anna and I as a, as a couple and us as a family. We yeah, we should say you are married yes. and you've got kids. Yep, married. She is free, the big part of it She you, is yeah. most definitely my, <laughs> not even my better half, my better three quarters. I would say. <laughs> um, so yeah, so for us, we'd, we'd always lived, the, the language we use is missionary journeys. So, so it's that sense of sort of what's the three to five year, what's God got for us, where we are, and that might be local neighbourhood that might be a, a missional endeavour it might be um, a new ministry new role whatever it be and so in Sheffield over those those kind of many years we'd every three four years you'd sort of put it back on the altar listen wait what so we're not here because we've always been here we're here because God has a, a word in season a mandate a vision a call for this next season and we've done it numerous times in Sheffield and God had said this is the new thing and we may may have moved to a council state or taken a new role or done something. And one of those, one of those times there was just this sort of strangely peaceful and frustrating silence. And, a, and just a sense for both of us. And we we wrestled with it for probably about nine months of I I think God might be kind of sparking something in us and, and actually unloosening our tent pegs. And so there was that process of sort of wrestling with it owning it saying i think that i think god's calling us to move so we we'd engaged that we would move before we knew where Mm -hmm. entered a discernment process with four five six friends mentors peers um praying listening so it's a quite a prophetic process in that sense um and there was three or four confirmations of edinburgh even before we'd had any any conversations around who what where when so there was a real strong sense of being rooted in Edinburgh for a season, and then it made sense to then initiate that conversation and say, we want to have one foot in the local, one foot in the translocal, so that local is based in Portobello, not a miles away from you, um, and then serving and supporting Central to, to build this, this work so that there's a living example, one of many. Um, so yes, yeah, so we've been here four, four and a half years now, so it's been a really good season for us as family. Um, great, we love Portobello, great in terms of just the opportunity of a sort of spiritual bohemian community, family oriented outdoors. It fit, fits us, um, the communal kind of sense and the spiritual sense, and then being able to, to support Central to support others, really, in that space.
1: You've got your sense of supporting Central. That's your kind of rooted local thing. But you also have a much bigger global if I might say, kind of trans-local ministry where you're working with churches and organisations around the world. Is that a fair...? Yep. yep, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, and you do that through your own organisation, but you also partner with others uh, and yeah, so Forge and...
0: Yep. So um, we, we have a charity called Catalyze Change that, that exists as the sort of, I, I call it the the relational glue for all the different... Because um, we're, we're seeking to spark... Indigenously led, contextualized movement. So it's not one big badge and brand that's everywhere, but we're working to support and serve. So, so Cairn would be an example of it in the Celtic lands, and it's it's named different different communities, different entities in different places. So, catalyze change would be the, the sort of base foundation identity, but it, it sparks, supports um, lots of other things. And you know, we partner with Forge and New Thing Network and others in different parts of the globe. Right.
1: So, people listening to this have an interest in mission, either that or they just don't have anything to do and try to skype work or something, I don't know, but, um, you know, you, you have the opportunity not only to understand our Scottish context and culture, but to have a sense of what's going on globally and what some of the maybe key strands or key things that seems to be bubbling up in the church around mission are, particularly in the West, but... Um, so I wonder you know, could you come up with maybe one or two of those for us to talk around
0: yeah definitely i think i think one is i see a, a generational shift which i think impacts the definitions of mission the engagement with mission the the practice of mission so i would say where we where we see boomer gen x millennial different different age groups so br- broadly speaking sort of 50 55 plus as boomers 35 to 40, 40 through to sort of 50, 55 Gen X, yeah. um, and then kind of under 35 millennial that roughly sort of 20 to 35, 35 to 50-ish, 50-ish to 65. Th- those three generations, I, I at 40 in the middle, almost that Gen X would be the sort of missing generation. Um, so often I am the youngest in the room with a group of, of boomer generation leaders, yeah or the oldest in the room, with a group of millennials. And there's not many rooms that are rife with 37 to 45, 50-year-olds. And so in that, though, the the thing that I notice is that the boomer generation would be more task-focused, more compartmentalised in their thinking. So it's kind of Monday and Sunday, business and church, secular, spiritual. And so mission can be task focused or agency driven it can be around impact and activity whereas what i see in the millennial generation the sort of 20s 20s and 30s is a far more integrated worldview so my my choice where i shop what i spend my money on my relationships my job my church it's an integrated one one life i live not compartmentalized Mm -hmm. or, or kind of outsourced and so what I see in a, a, a rising generation is mission is far more integrated into everyday life rather than a, an activity or a part of mm. what I do. And so that's, that's one thing I, I can see in terms of the, the mission piece. And so that would be one we can, we can talk a little bit about. I think the second is that sense of just the, the change of culture. So sociologists would now say culture changes every 18 months where probably where, where even when we were, better, like it would have been 18 years. It was kind of one generation. Now, what's, what's happened two years ago is almost outmoded. Yeah. And so the shift that That's that huge. is bringing around mission, what, what we did five years ago that may have had fruitfulness or been effective or engaged people is two, two, two culture cycles now gone. And so, again, that sense of how are we adaptable and how are we adaptive in our leadership? Um, how are we more incarnational rather than make it program-driven? Or, and it's demonstration as well as proclamation. So there's some shifts there in the missional conversation and um, sphere that I think, again, is a really big one. And then probably the, the third piece is just the, the relational piece. Um, and, I, and what I mean by that is that it's relational, it's incarnational, uh, it's trustworthy, it's authentic. So in a world of political upheaval, in a world of big promises, undersell, overdeliver, in a, in a culture that is a, a, a culture where we're disagreeing on Twitter, we, we're outraged, we have an opinion, there's all this outrage, mistrust, kind of fake news. Actually, mission is far more about who is the person in front of me? I can see you, trust you, touch you, engage with you. And so, again, I think there's a shift far more to local, grounded, personal, incarnational, which is strange when we think of the onset of technology. Yeah. And so there's there's absolutely a technological breadth and depth that's coming to the missional conversation. But I think we're almost becoming more extreme it's sort of very online and very on the ground. It's not that middle ground. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because I, I, I listened to Mark Sayers recently.
1: He uh, seems like a bit of a font of all knowledge mm-hmm. for things at the moment. So if you've not got time to read a book, find out what Mark Sayers thought about it. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about this kind of culture shift thing, and particularly was re- referencing the technological uh, advances and how. You know the advent of the internet and of Facebook was supposed to bring us all closer together, but it may have actually had the opposite effect of actually fragmenting us into yep. different kinds of communities. And so the, the mission opportunity is the real local opportunity, and that becomes a really key word. Which in a Baptist context should never have left us in the first place. But you know we've we've all been enamoured with the oh let's have an online church or let's you know all of that, but actually the local face to face honest conversation. Uh, you can see the whites of my eyes, yes. you can see the life that I live, it becomes the missional, missionally significant relationship, not the ranting at somebody on Twitter convincing them
0: that they're entirely wrong in their theology, right? Yes, because the reality is we can post our edited highlights or we can post our tirade and outrage, but there isn't that depth, there isn't that intensity that comes. And so also in a, a post-truth, post-Christendom, post-everything world, actually, truth is so often subjective, and the, the, it's actually the power of testimony, the power of the work of God, it's what people see in you, yeah. rather than hear from you, yeah. that right now, if you chart most people's faith journey, it, it's a real person. There will have been moments of, of inspiration and challenge and change that they read, or they heard, or whatever, but almost always outside of a prophetic dream in a in a room on your own, which happens. Most people, and I don't have a percentage for it, but I would just say most, there is a person that reflects and represents Jesus to them, not just something online. So I, I would agree the online I, I see in my kids, I see in other kids, the, the challenge even in, in the twenties is the electronic interaction and engagement leaves us ever connected but ever more lonely and isolated and and insecure. So what what people will say online, they won't necessarily say on the ground. And so we are more combative, I think, online. We exacerbates our comparison when we're we're online. Um, And it gives us a chance then, if you're more combative and you're exacerbating some of the competition piece, that's not a healthy space to be developing identity, developing spirituality. Um, So, yeah, I I think that the local, the personal, um, and especially, again, going back to the generational piece, um, a boomer would far more be looking at, does this get the job done? Does this work? Does this make my life better? So it does, being a Christian, make a difference and make it better. A millennial is saying it's not actually how good my pastor's preaching is on a Sunday. It's his choices around where he shops, how he lives, how he Treats the poor, what he does on a Monday morning. There's far more around lifestyle now rather than just concept, knowledge, thought. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, I want
1: to. We'll come back to the generational things. I think we'll finish up there. There's something really profound there because there's also another generation below the one that you mentioned, yeah. the millennials. And yep, they're coming. We'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but the culture change piece, you said there, you know. We, we're of an age. I'm a couple of years older than you, uh, but the, you know, our our, our experience of generation of yeah. culture change was, you know, a decade or two. it's yes. is yep. the kind of time yep. frame that we're looking at significant shifts in culture. Um, you know, two thousand seven marks the iPhone, Facebook. You know, all of those things that you know. So we've got that marker. That's only 12 years ago. world's indistinguishable from yes. that time. Um, but you, you used this, an astonishing number. I've not heard this one before. Uh, but you said sociologists are saying something around 18 months for substantive culture change to take
0: place. And, and that, Do you have a reference for that? or is, there's, a, there's a couple of articles that I, okay. I continue to be read reading really recently because what, what they would be saying is that, that we are now turning over the technological advances all of these different things are meaning that what was a reference point 18 months ago mm-hmm. is now out- outloading and outdated okay. to some degree and, and I would absolutely say that the 2007 piece has sped up mm-hmm. that, yep. that cycle so we talk about the 80s, the 90s yeah. the noughties there isn't actually now it's last year was and so you can see that even in the different crazes of loom bands, man's not hot, there's all these different the song, the craze, so it'll Fortnite. Fortnite and then now it will be something else. And yeah. so there's all these crazes that we we are now are the the Z and the Y generation are coming in, not something that is this was a decades thing. They are actually in cycles oh. where they are in it and then it's away, in it and it's away. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a washing machine cycle. Mm-hmm. Which means, again, building a sense of solidity and depth is a tricky one. And so where, where I look at um, one of the things in terms of when you talk about missional context is, is why it's so, so important to have a posture of a learner. So you don't come in with, I'm a benefactor or I'm an expert, so I'm going to help you or I know what your answer is. In a missional context, we need to be listening and learning. So I was saying to somebody yesterday, I talked talk about the Green Cross Code and sort uh, of about stop, look and listen. Okay, talk about I mean, cultural yeah, reference, yeah, right? Exactly. That a moment in time, right? Yeah. exactly, that's a moment that yeah. that means something to me. And for me, that's I always say that that's how you should approach a community. So you 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 stop, you actually just pause, you you lay down all of your assumptions, misconceptions, preconceptions, dot look, actually just look at the community, what what do they celebrate where do they gather, mm-hmm. what's missing what's the potential, who are the key connectors, whatever mm-hmm. and then listen, actually listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to the community, ask some questions like, well, what do you love about living here, what would you change about this what, what do you miss, what's good mm-hmm. and so that gives you a sense of where's God already at work, where's their bad news, That the gospel is good news where's their opportunities, where are their the Lydia's or the the Zacchaeuses that I can go and be with and amongst in their world. And so you're able to do that, that if you go, I'm just gonna do this, it worked last time. So so we did Bingo and Cake in one of our urban inner city communities because everyone loved Bingo and spent their money on other things. And so we just did Bingo and Cake. Now, does Bingo and Cake work in every single community across the country? Absolutely not. You look, you listen, you find those places of pain, of pride, and you're there in that place. Um, and so I think the culture change thing challenges us to be learners. And I think the church, myself included, uh, we, we, we settled in the centre of society mm-hmm. and, and just insidiously took on the, we are the moral compass for the country, we are the, the benefactors, of, and, and we, we have the spiritual goods, we, we are in the middle of all of these things that actually, if you say them out loud... I wouldn't. You wouldn't go. Oh, of course. But there's somewhere in the psyche that, that actually exile is painfully, but in a in a he- a strangely healthy way, mm. helping us to grow in our dependence, our vulnerability, and our, our with people rather than at people or, or to people. If that makes sense. Yeah.
1: No, that's that's really good. And so we it creates the opportunity to be more of a prophetic voice from the edge. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's an exciting opportunity, but challenging. And it calls for a different kind of leadership out of us. And, you know, you've just been talking there about being a learner. And I, I'm really struck that for those of us that would want to lead in a mission context like this, and, you know, talking about Scotland, I don't think there's another way to talk about it than as a mission context. Like we're not just here, at a pastor, a yep. church that's already, uh, or, or a, a culture that's essentially Christian. Um I'm struck by the challenge of if culture's changing that quickly, then we know the gospel's unchanging. But, you know, to, was it Spurgeon, you know, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other? The problem is newspaper, nobody reads It's out of yeah. date. Yes. Like the actual notion yep. of a newspaper is out of date, right? Yep. So uh, ha, our reading then, uh, our learning, just at a very practical level, must be much sharper than it was because because what you know if we're reading a book what well, actually an example and I'm going to forget the name of the book now. There was a book I read about a year ago now. It's called um, Seven Maps That Chain, That Shape the World or something like that. Mm. It's a guy that wrote this book. Bringing the the subtitle is bringing the geography back into geopolitics. It's Brilliant, It's really fascinating, yeah. interesting book. Shows you why Russia are interested in Ukraine mm. and all of this. But the whole point is the book's out of date. Because it's pre-Brexit, pre-Trump, pre-Russia invading the Crimea. Um, So the book's probably four years old. It's absolutely fascinating, and it really tells you why it's happening. It points to China wanting to build the Silk Road route train. Mm -hmm. Everything that's changed, four years, books out a day. So our reading needs to be actually sharper. We need to get closer to the front edge of some of that. A comfortable place to
0: be. Yeah, and, and I, I found myself going both back to the classics mm-hmm. and absolutely picking up and reading a far more broader, diverse picture of leadership, culture, sociology, parenting. I, I spoke, talked to a, a fascinating um, guy who we're going to connect with with our social entrepreneur work, Creo, who um, does urban geography. And so he's helping church planters understand the urban geography of their city. Short, Sean Banesh, Intrepid, great conversation, great guy. And so there's all these different things now that we have to both be more diverse yeah. and more grounded, in, in my opinion. So um, so Peterson, Willard, there's some classics mm-hmm. that I found myself coming back to in terms of the, the solidity in the framework of being a disciple yeah. and then being open to being sharpened by being a missional disciple. That missional and missionary piece is I need to understand the, the city, the culture, the context. And it's no longer um I I am a foreigner in this land, but it's no longer I'm a Scot, I understand Scotland. Y- you don't. I, I'm an Englishman, I understand England. There, there's multiple different different dynamics. What Scotland common.
1: are you talking about? You know, exactly.
0: like that's <laughs> exactly. in which neighbourhood within which city yeah. in which so Well we we're here in Portobello, which
1: is in Edinburgh now, I, I I only moved here a year ago, right? So Edinburgh is still anathema to me. I don't I don't I don't get it yet. And there's no. some quirks about this city, there's like nothing else that I've lived in. Uh, but Portobello is definitely part of Edinburgh. That's something peculiarly <laughs> different, again, completely different yeah. culture. In fact, the closest culture I've seen to this that we've lived in was in Vancouver, not anywhere else in Scotland.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where what one one of the little tools we use is something called the knowledge funnel. So if you draw it as a as a V a funnel, yeah, and you have the mystery at the top, then you have a, a heuristic in the middle and an you algorithm. you Explain that word. Yeah. So they're, they're three fancy words. But basically the mystery is a big question or a big hope. Yeah. So it's how, how do we reach the UK? How yep. do we impact Scotland with the gospel? The heuristic is a is a working hypothesis a yep. working question a working model so we we think dot 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 two or three assumptions assertions experiments yep. pilots and then finally you, you narrow it down the funnel and it's algorithm and code which is you you codify that pilot that model that hypothesis to be a a set of tools or vehicles or processes ideas to make make that idea inevitable and what what i what i see in the church is we start at the bottom of the funnel. We don't want to do the hard work of mystery. Mystery is painful. My, like, mystery, how on earth do we reach Portobello? It's far easier to pick a book off the shelf, which yeah. is somebody else's mystery, somebody else's working model and heuristic, mm. and their code, and just plug and play. It's missional communities, or it's a huddle, or it's mm. church planting. It's it, this code will put it in. And if we miss the mystery, we and uh, mystery is painful mystery is vulnerable, so are we prepared to go from a place of strength and security, which honestly at points of just denial makes us feel strong, it's like it will be fine if we'll close the door pretend it's not there, it's like the mess in your bedroom you're like, close the door, it's not messy, the house is fine, yeah. actually we just open the door and go, it's a mess, we, we feel vulnerable, we feel unsure the gospel is solid, dependable unchanging ever relevant, but the the form of church and our messaging and our community, all of these things are vulnerable at the moment. And so allowing ourselves to ask those big questions allows God to speak. If we don't ask the big questions, we just take somebody else's voice off the shelf and plug it, plug it into our system.
1: I'm conscious. We only have a few more minutes. I I, am one of the real risks of a conversation like this is we're at 30,000 feet. Yep. Uh, we're talking about huge things like culture change, generations, um, and you know, the, the, the relational bit. We did mention local there, so we're doing yep. a bit of our job. But the real risk is that people leave here actually listening to this going, oh, okay, but yep. how do we do that? So maybe, maybe provoke us a little, either with stories of something you've seen where somebody's done that, Yep, and it, maybe through that funnel if you like. Yep. Or
0: um or just some hope yep. that actually this is doable. That yeah, definitely. I, I think I think every every great journey, the quote, starts with a single step. And so if whoever is listening to this podcast, if there is a sense of either joy and hope welling up or a sense of being completely overwhelmed, for me the two things I would say to anyone and everyone listening, one is to pray Mm. and the other is to to listen and to look. So whatever missional context you're in, if you're a a pastor, a planter, a school teacher, a mom, a a doctor, whoever you are, just begin to pray. And and for me, the simple cyclical prayer I pray and my my wife prays and I've copied her is just, Lord, let me see as you see and feel as you feel. Mm. And so just... Allowing that prayer to open your eyes and to break your heart, Um, and then in terms of the looking and listening, just slow down, be available, look for where God's at work, and look for where you desire for God to be at work. And so, all of these grand plans, big words, potential for change, every single one. You think of Nehemiah; it was one report that broke his heart. You think of all these different kind of people in Scripture, littered across Scripture. And then you think of some of the heroes of the faith that we know as celebrities, and there there are thousands of people that nobody would know their name that I get to journey with and encourage. Almost all of them, it started in prayer, which makes it personal. It started in slowing down, which means that they've actually been able to hear, and they're able then to respond, not with good ideas or with grand gestures, but with a, a conviction that becomes compassion and becomes action. So. Is there hope? Absolutely there is hope, but, but it is Jesus that is the hope. It's not a model, it's not a code, it's not, a, it's not your own enthusiasm and strength, it's not your bright ideas. Um, Jesus is the hope, and, and it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And so the, the challenge for me is always, how are you rooted where you are? How are you good news to your neighbours? How are you good news at the local school, in the local community, in your, your workplace, whatever it be? And almost anyone and everyone that I could tell you about, I could tell you of um, wonderful church planting efforts in India or churches being transitioned in Western Europe that you just think like it's impossible, every single one of them is a modern day hero that, that isn't doing it for a claim, isn't, would, would be self-deprecating most of the time and not looking to be on a podcast or to talk about it, but they would just do, they would say, what else would I do? or where where else would we go lord you have the words of life that for me the deeply personal becomes a it, deeply local and a deeply local becomes a deeply personal so how how are you living into the good news and and it is the Nehemiahs the Daniels the Esthers i i've been really I, I i keep coming back to reading lots of these old testament exile stories and narratives because that that's it and and it is the early church dynamics and the epistles and the great planting endeavours and the energy and the, the kind of communitas and community that comes. But I think for me, what's resonated, i, I Daniel, Nehemiah, Esther, they're, they're the stories of how do we live well and influence in exile? We need to own exile, and that's vulnerable. But we also need all of them were defined by a deep personal spirituality that then brought social transformation, cultural transformation, um, and so that, that's the piece for me. How, how are we encouraging and raising up and, and finishing on the generational piece? When we go back, I, I'm struck by the, the, the Moses-Joshua dynamic. Mm. Um, and I think there is, there is a call, if I may be so bold, there's a, there's a call for the, the boomer generation, that the 50, 55 plus, um, to actually say, how do we release the 20, the 25, the 30-year-old? We may not understand them, it may or may not sense to them. They, they're not ready. They're not ready. Um, but they're not going to get ready by sitting on the bench. They're not going to get ready by watching somebody else play. Um, you look at the, the joy of the, the English football team versus other, other nations. And in the rugby as well, the, 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 there's lots wrong. But actually, there's 17, 19, 20-year-olds who are now playing international sport. And they won't get it all right. But there's there's older generations giving space for younger generations, and so in, in that space for me, there are there are many many Joshua's in Scotland, mm-hmm. and they need permissioning, and they need a covering, not not a not a smothering, mm-hmm. but a covering which is freedom to go, to fail, to make a mess, but a support and a spiritual parenting of an older generation, and and for me, that's that's hope. That that's the synergy of an intergenerational, deeply local missional movement. That That's hope for me.
1: Mm. And that's going to require us to take some risks. It's going to require us to uh, actually be willing to give up something that yes. we already hold. Um, it's going to require uh, being willing to pick up the pieces when it goes wrong. Uh, but it, I, I 100% agree that without it, um, we're stuck repeating what we've been repeating. And
0: actually, if we're going to see some of these new things come to birth, it's going to come out of that generation. Somebody, somebody was on a, on a call with in one of the cohorts I lead on Monday, and he, he said he was challenging a, a group of leaders that he was working with, are you a risk taker, a caretaker, or an undertaker? And and I I, was like, I told him I'd steal it and I'd use yeah, it. i true to my word. Within a week, I was like, that that that's, that's the that's yeah. starkly the choices. We we can we can be an undertaker, which is actually putting to death what what is dying. We can be a caretaker and, and just manage decline, or we can be a risk taker and and actually your risk may be releasing somebody else to take a risk. It may not be. I go do something crazy. It may just be I permission a group to experiment and to try and and
1: allow them to do it under the credit that yes. we've built up as leaders. Yes, absolutely. And you so you spend an hour. Yeah, you lend
0: them your relational capital, your permissioning, And that's that's what Moses did. He trained, apprenticed, equipped and released Joshua. Um and, and I think there's an opportunity in exile, but it, it is a it is a battle, it is pain. But the church has always thrived on the edge and always struggled at the centre.
1: Rich, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I ask all my guests this question. You do a bunch of reading. If you had one book to recommend to people that you've been reading this year, what would you what would you recommend?
0: Oh, one book. Um, can I have two? You can um, have two. Uh, so, so my two favourite books at the moment, it, one is New Power, <laughs> um, which I've loved in terms of re- relational influence and um, and then the other one is a is a Roland Rollheiser book, um, which also has fire in the title. And my mind has just gone blank. It's a red cover, okay. which I've just finished. Well, we'll find it and put a link in the show notes. People can find it there. Yes. Why is it good? Uh, Roland Rollheiser is good. It, it's it's a discipleship book, so it's a challenge to. Uh, he's a, a Catholic. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful challenge to personal discipleship. And, uh, and just a challenge in terms of how are we living out and ordering and, and, and kind of indexing our life to Christ. And then the new power book is about uh, relational influence. So I think in a world, it's institution institutional versus relational influence. So I think it's a world that we live in right now. So it's helpful just to navigate that.
1: Uh, Rich, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you giving it to us and your wisdom. Um we're going to get this podcast out just before the 26th of november so if you are listening to this uh you can still come along and join us for a day uh with rich looking at innovation in church and mission how we go about that and try and put some legs on the stuff that we've been talking about we'd love to see you rich thank
0: you great to be with you
1: huge thank you to rich for his time and been willing to share with us his many insights. The book that Rich was trying to reference was is Sacred Fire, and it's linked to in the show notes along with the other books that he mentioned. If you enjoyed this conversation, I wonder if you would do two things. The first is, would you take, think about taking the time to come along to our day conference, 26th of November, uh, at Easter House Baptist Church? Link again in the show notes. To a day with Rich looking at this question of innovation in church and mission. The other thing I'd love you to do is just take a moment to give us a quick rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show uh, and helps us understand what we're doing well or indeed what we're not getting so right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with an interview with our trainees on the INVEST programme. Look forward to speaking to you then. This has been the MIGCAST. I'm Glenn Innes. We are out. You've been listening to the MIGCAST, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.